0: Are we all together? Yes. Hello. Good morning. Oh, we there? Okay. Hello. Good morning. Good to see everyone. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for bringing us here together this morning. And we pray, Father, whether we are feeling a little tired or a little discouraged or we're just excited to be here, Father just celebrating this amazing weather and nothing could get us down. I pray no matter where we're at this morning that we can draw near to you, Father. And thank you for being able to sing that way, Um, just being able to lift our voices and be able to have these hugs and have this family and also to have your scriptures and know your truth, Father. And I pray as we talk this morning, we dig into your scriptures that you give us wisdom to understand it and soak it deeply, but also the courage to do it to put it into action in our lives in every way. God, we love you. We're so grateful for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Luke chapter 7. We're going to talk this morning about everyone's favorite subject. Sin. And for some of you, you've been like, goodness, I've been praying for you to talk to my husband for seven weeks. Then this one's for you. Uh, I've been having great Bible study, as silly as that sounds, about sin. I mean, I guess maybe not silly, but it's, it's deep. And I don't know if you're like me, or maybe it's been a little bit since you've, you've read about it and dug into it. Uh, I, I find it, it is both terrifying and beautifully refreshing. And I think that's, that's part of this, right? That's part of the point of the scriptures and of encountering a holy God that is completely filled with truth and with grace. And that's a, be- a beautiful thing. And in Luke chapter 7, I want to frame our conversation with this. In, in verse 36, it says, Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And when a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of a woman she is. That she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him. I love that Jesus often answers the question people don't say out loud. I love it. He said to himself, but Jesus answered him. Oh, that's, a, that's, that's terrifying. Verse 40, Jesus answered him Simon, I have something to tell you. Oh, tell me, teacher. I don't know what the tone is. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and one 50. Neither of them could pay money to, uh, have the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I mean, what a powerful question that is, huh? Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not pour oil on my head, but she poured fume on my feet therefore I tell you her many sins have been forgiven for she loved much but he who has been forgiven little loves little then Jesus said to her your sins are forgiven and the other guests began to say among themselves who is this who even forgives sins and Jesus said to the woman your faith has saved you go in peace what a beautiful picture and as we talked this morning about sin I'm not sure what kind of memories or feelings or kind of reaction you have about that. And maybe, maybe you studied the Bible uh, two or three years, maybe decades ago, and that experience was a bit traumatic. Maybe you've studied it recently or maybe you've never studied it and there's this feeling of religiosity or dread. Maybe there's a feeling of, I want to ignore this or I want to avoid this at all costs. But I think what's so powerful about this is that Jesus does not shy away from the subject of sin at all, in fact. And this moment is this beautiful warning, but encouragement about what you're going to do when it comes to sin. And there's this, now the Pharisees, we all know that the history of the Pharisees, I mean, this is probably at this point a 200 year long movement about restoring the fear of the Lord and the scriptures and and and, and kind of stiff forming culture and the how sexual and crazy it was. And like, can we just get back to loving God again? Can we get back to his word and restoring a respect and a love for his word again? And we, we fast forward a few generations and now we're, we're in his we're in the guy's living room. And I look at this and my question is, you've got this. Simon the Pharisee, who brings Jesus into his home, he wants to be around him, he's, 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 he's feeding him, he's giving him his physical resources, he's opening his home, He's having, he, there are other guests, there's a certain amount of hospitality, he's around Jesus, and there's this great conversation. It seems like everything is, well, he's checking all the boxes a bit. And then you see this sinful woman, we don't even know her name, at least in the book of Luke. It's ironic that the historian among the group is showing you the hero of this this story, or at least a great example, and it's this woman, and we don't even know her name. And let me ask you, which one of these folks are you today? Do you notice and talk about the sins of other people more than you do your own? Does the sin and the past and the lifestyle of other people bother you more than your own? Are you so in the business of finding yourselves above other people that you don't really see them and you certainly won't get on their level? If so, maybe you're a Simon today. And the goal. Let, let's be honest. There's two cliff edges we often fall on, off of. One is the side of the Simon the Pharisee. I'm the man. I, I've, you know, I mean, I've been, I've been doing all these things since I was a boy. I'm awesome. I know this Bible study. I've taught other people. You know, my my great grandfather was a preacher. I've been a disciple 30 years. I was baptized before it was the I C O C. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. And we can kind of find ourselves falling into that Simon role. Maybe we come to church, even in the last 18, 24 months, and the story that you've got of this church, or maybe even your previous church, is that you can give me the long list of grievances and the sins of others, but it is crickets when it comes to you being affected by your own. And the truth of it is, is I can't change you. I can change me. I can't change your heart. I can change mine. Right. And apparently I cannot get this microphone right. <laughs> but the other aspect of this, though, is that we can also fall off this other cliff edge and we think, oh, then then sin is about being depressed and entrenched and overwhelmed with self-loathing and self-hatred. And, I'm, man, I'm such a mess. I'm terrible. I'm, uh, God, God would never love someone like me. And that's also a lie. Right. And I think we got to be careful that we don't fall off either one of or into one of those ditches. But if you're not careful, what you'll do is you'll begin to avoid your own sin. One, because you're consumed with other people's or two, because you're afraid of the truth of what's going on in you. And let's not do either one of those things. We want to be like this woman who is moved and transformed. And we've been talking over the last several weeks about, about the basics and about even about discipleship or the Word of God, that, that the love loving God is integrated with all this. It's His grace and love through His kingdom and the people we have or in our personal lordship and about following Him and obeying Him, even His commands. That's about love. That's a love thing. And what's incredible about this is that this sinful woman, who is arguably shamed by this religious leader is not even—it doesn't even slow her down—that she is so un, she understands her sinful indebtedness and the grace of God so completely, so incredibly. Goodness, I need this microphone to be moved by. There we go. And she's so in touch and understands her own sinful indebtedness to God that his forgiveness, he goes, she loves much because she gets it. Yeah. She gets it of how much she's been forgiven. Yeah. And I want to urge us all as we talk about sin today that we, be ur- we urged and moved like this woman. Yeah. But let me be very clear. The grace and the forgiveness and the, 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 this unbelievable, this crazy love, this overwhelming mercy has no effect if you don't have sin in your life. <laughs> right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because then it's for everyone else. And how many times does Jesus have the conversation of, I've come to call not the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. And then you get like, you almost get this sense of the Pharisees going, absolutely, keep calling him Jesus, that's right. And you're and you kind of like, if there's this facepalm moment of you don't understand and you don't see it the way God sees it. And throughout this Bible study about sin, even over the next couple of studies, as we get into what I think is some of our core Bible studies, we've been talking about the, the first principles or the back to the basics or uh, foundations of faith. These are, we will study out a lot of these topics. If you're coming out to church and you're like, I want to be a member or man, I want to know, you keep talking about discipleship. I want to be a real Christian. What do I do? We're going to talk about a lot of these subjects. Because in some ways, these are the big rocks that we got to get in the jar. They're not the only rocks, but it's where we start. Right. This is the layup and the jump shot of Christianity. It's just the basics. Yep. But if we don't understand sin, then God's mercy doesn't make sense. And in fact, his mercy and his forgiveness in our life begins to feel offensive. Why? Because the healthy don't need a doctor. And I'm kind of offended you think I would. And I think that there's this beauty and freedom that lies on the other side of this understanding and connection of ourselves. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I remember a few years ago, maybe you guys saw this interview. There was an interview with the, the, the pastors of one of the largest churches in the United States. And he was being interviewed on national television. This is not that you gossip. No, no, it's, it's as syndicated as it gets. I think was like 100 million people watching this thing. And the question they asked is, why don't you preach about sin? And his answer was? Because people don't come to church on Sunday to be uncomfortable. I like to think positively. (laughs) Me too. But what a disservice we would do to one another. And what a lie we tell about the Lord. We want to see it His way. Does that make sense friends? Not the worldly way of drilling it in and being judgmental. And let me tell you, no. No. And not let's avoid it because it's all feel good. And and, and shame shame now has been equated with the ungodly. And we don't want to see it the world's way. We need to see it God's way. So let's do that. Can we do that together as we look at this? And turn with me over to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to move through several scriptures today. And just to understand about sin. And for some of us, this may be a little bit of a refresher. For some of us, this might be brand new. This might be a little bit of a cold shower this morning. And so as we go through this, I want to encourage all of us that this might be new news to you. And I remember the first time I studied the Bible. I know the scripture it was for me where the light turned on was Ephesians chapter 5. And we're not going to look at it. you can go back and read it. And it was talking about not a hint of sexual immorality, impurity, or any type of sin. And I remember looking at that. And I remember distinctly the light going on and going, oh, no. (laughs) And while it was new news to me about the reality of my soul, it's not new news to God. So this, this the message of Jesus loving you and His crazy love to reach out to you and grab you, you may now have to reconcile, hold on, that, that that scripture in Romans when it talks about that, no, it's when we were at our worst, when we were sinful, that's, I mean, people will die for godly men all the time, but a sinful man, that's what Jesus did with us. And now for you this morning, it may be a little bit of a, whoa, this, this is big news, I don't know about this. Jesus has always known and said, I still love you. I'm still coming after you. And so in the middle of all, don't lose both sides of the message okay. He's full of truth and full of grace yeah. Matthew chapter Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21 As the angel's talking to Mary And talking about, uh, sorry, Joseph And he's telling him about Jesus There's this unbelievable line in verse 21 And it's t- he's telling him That she will give birth to a son And you are to give him the name Jesus Because He will save his people from their sins. We need to talk about some facts about and see sin the way God sees it. In just one sentence, it's unbelievable. He's saying Jesus gets the name Jesus or Joshua, the Lord saves. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. We've got to understand what sin is and what it isn't. Oftentimes in our world, we go, I'm a sinner, you're a sinner. Everyone sins, right? No big deal. We all get it. And it also becomes like sin becomes, this, especially in the religious world, a bit of like, oh, it's like rule breaking. It's like, you know, and we almost go like, oh, man, I forgot to take the trash out again, babe. Sorry about that. I know Tuesday mornings our trash day, but, you know, we moved to a new city. And I know I didn't do it, but it's a sin, like I made a mistake kind of. But, you know, we just moved from Brazil and our trash day was a different day. It was a different hemisphere. Everyone understands, right? <laughs> and we go, so did you make a mistake or not? And what happens is we begin to talk about sin. About It's almost like inevitable rule-breaking. That it's small time. It's no big deal. We all do it. It's an everybody-does-it issue. Not so in Gaza. It's not rule-breaking. It's actually more on the level of rebellion or betrayal. Why? When we start looking at this, he says, now, this is before the birth of jesus but the angel is telling joseph about he will come and save his people from their sins you and me it's like you're you remember those old choose your own adventure stories if you're like over the age of 40 maybe you remember in the library i would always put my finger and then go check what possible outcomes for decisions And, and some of us are you know i we do this you know someone's like what in the world is that it's the same thing you do with video games. When you don't like your decision, you save right before you make a decision. Oh, I don't like that. And then you go back. They call it save scumming. Anybody under the age of 30, that's what you know. Either way, the point being is, we would like to know what happens at the end of the story, but we often don't. Mary and Joseph don't know what it means when he says that Jesus will save his people from their sins, but you and me know exactly what that means. That's the cross. That's brutally crucified, that's torturing, that's, that's humiliation, that's a fake trial and a complete false accusation. He is crucified as a criminal. What would you give your son and daughter for? What would you let your son and daughter be brutally murdered, to be brought and, I mean, just dragged? I mean, the, imagine what the feelings, what you would feel, what you would go through. Who would you let your daughter? Who would you let your husband or wife? Who would you let grab your mom and go, I'm going to take her out in front of the Times Square and beat her to death in front of everyone? Who would you say, yeah, I'm willing to give her up for, for what? For who? And that's what we see by God the Father talking to Him, going, to God, this is not rule-breaking. It's not, it's not a, it's, it couldn't be more personal to the Father. This is deeply personal and he's got skin in the game. It's this personal and heartfelt God from heaven pushes all in and goes, I'm not sending another prophet. I'm not sending a sacrifice. It's not, it's not cattle. It's not sheep. It's my son. For you. It couldn't be more personal, friends. And as we think about sin and we think about this, it's, it's no big deal. It's just sin. Don't worry about it. I go, I want to appeal to us. If it's no big deal, no wonder God's grace doesn't move us very far. Okay, come on. But when we get it, then we get it and he gets us. Okay. The other thing we got to get is that it's Jesus has to save us from something. When you, you don't, I don't know how many of us are swimmers. Uh I barely could be called as such, but I can keep myself alive in water. Yeah, it's right. My and my, my wife was teaching our kids to swim down in Brazil because you're around pools or whatever, just safety. You know what I'm saying? You gotta you gotta help them out. Now, but you can imagine, as uninspiring as my swimming might be, if I'm at the YMCA and like, you know, the sixteen year old hunk that's the you know, that day's, you know. Whatever, jumps in, grabs me, pulls me out of the water, and starts giving me CPR. I'm I'm alive. They they call CPR something else when I'm conscious. You know, I'm like, get off me. Like that wouldn't be saving. That's like harassment. You know what I'm saying? That's different. And you don't save people unless they're dying. And when Jesus when he goes, no, 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 Jesus is going to save his people. From their sins, friends without a Savior were dead. It's lethal. Sin is deadly. It is destructive. It is the cancer of humankind. It's it. And there's only one solution. So, oh, I don't really need to deal with my sin. It's no big deal, Jeff. It is the biggest deal there is. Without a Savior, it's lethal. It's not rule breaking, friends. It's as personal, God, and it's as, it's as serious as a heart attack. It doesn't get more serious than this. Is this how you see your sin today? We often see this in other people. But we don't think about it this seriously. We think about it as irritating. So I moved as far as my irritation will allow me to go. And I often won't speak to you in love to save you until I'm bothered enough, and then I often speak in anger. And again, that's not godly at all. It's incredibly selfish, actually. It's not selfless at all. But when we see it the way God sees it, don't we start to think about each other differently? We think about ourselves differently. We think about Jesus differently. Turn over to Colossians chapter 1. We're just talking about what are some of the facts of sin. Colossians chapter 1. Does anybody else, when you go to the Pauline epistles, think God eats popcorn? doggone it. I, I, I'd I known the New Testament and everything as a young Christian. Didn't have that little, uh, you know, that little like phrase in my head. And then someone said it. and I was like six months old as a Christian. And I'm like, I, I wish you wouldn't have said that. Now I'll never forget it. And now it's like, God eats popcorn. And then you keep moving on. I could just naturally go there. So we're in the corn part. Colossians chapter one, verse 21. What's another fact about what sin does or what it is? And verse 21, it says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Sin, inequity, evil behavior. These don't fundamentally wreck your life a little bit. It's not, this, isn't, this isn't an oil change on your vehicle. Guys, this changes the nature and who and what you are. It alienates you from God. You were made in the image of God. And it changed fundamentally who you are and what you are. That's why when we say we need to be converted, that's exactly the right language. That it has estranged you. It's alienated you. You could talk about your citizenship if you want to talk about, you know, when, you, when, I, when, I, when I went to Brazil, and they, when I walked in the line for our visas, I go in the alien line. It's not an extraterrestrial. It's just someone with a different citizenship. It's like you've cashed in your heavenly passport and you're like, no, I'll take the world's, I'll, t- I'll you know, I'll call the world my home. Thank you very much. You've fundamentally changed in who and what you are. And in fact, guys, it's, it says it's made you enemies in your own minds with God. That's why when we talk about, could you imagine what your kids, what your spouse, what your absolute best friend would have to do to you to make you go, I'm not talking about someone that I don't really want to talk with anymore. I'm saying, like, I oppose you. If I see you, I will cross the road and spit in your general direction. Like, we're enemies, we're opposed, you are not, not on the same side. There is there's a war going on. And you're going, hold on, what what do you mean, Jeff? I mean, Matthew 21, 121, and we go, that it, that it alienates us from God. Okay, I get that it changes me. But you're going, no, it's a declaration of war against God. The audacity. Could you imagine, Trey? Dad, you and me were fighting. I'm like, well, this is not going to last very long, dude. <laughs> but as the son grows up, it's funny when they're four, but it's not funny when they're 14, and it's certainly not funny when they're 40. And there's an audacity and an arrogance, and I think we've got to see, could you imagine how God, it's, it's, if it wasn't so laughable. And you look at God from heaven and going, guys, we've got to see it the way God sees it. Our sin is not just mere Rule breaking. It's not like God sent the rules up and you just decided to break them. And you were, you know, you were 15 minutes late to class, and so here, here's your medical. That's not how this is. We we all we have all read in the book of Isaiah about how the way that sin will create a wall between us and God. That's a fine analogy, and it's true. But when we talk about forgiveness, and even the Lord's Prayer several weeks ago, if you remember the old version of the Lord's pray prayer, it we actually don't pray forgive us our sins. It's we forgive us our debts. Because forgiveness and sin, this is financial language before it was spiritual language. And there's this indebtedness, there's a you owe me, and there, there, there's a real there's a real balance to be paid here. And so when Jesus takes that indebtedness, he takes that you owe me. And then you start thinking about all these parables and all of these commands about forgiving others the way we've forgiven, and you go, oh my goodness, I, I begin to get it. And the power and the understanding of real forgiveness begins to happen at the cross when we understand our own sin. Amen. Does that make sense, yeah. family? Yeah. Yeah. Romans chapter 3, turn with thing over there. We're kind of moving through some scriptures. Are we all together? So it's making sense. Romans chapter 3. chapter 3 and verse 9 it says now what shall we conclude then are we any better are, are we any better not at all we have already made the charge that jews and gentiles alike are all under sin so paul as a jew is talking to both jews and gentiles there's this very mixed church in rome and so we and you and many of us that have studied the book of romans or if you don't know about the first half of the book of romans is distinctly gentile focused distinctly and then right around nine you see eight nine and ten we start to see this pivot where the ark goes now he starts to focus on jews and that's why we have so many problems with misapplying scriptures like romans 10 9 and 10 as a conversion scripture when it's 10 chapters in to a very long letter that Paul would have already assumed that you read about sin in Romans 1, you would have read you know, read about the brokenness in 3, you would have read about conversion and baptism in 6, that you would, have, by the time you get there, you, he's framed the whole argument. Right. The book of Romans is a stunning piece of literature. Right. One of the best, even by non-believers. It is stunning. But as we get here, he's saying to all of these, both sides, religious, not religious, people have a generation, long legacy maybe your great great granddad was a preacher in the church of christ or maybe it was like mine when like my great great granddad i'm pretty sure was an alcoholic that's that's my that's my legacy maybe some of us can relate to that and either way he goes we're all like understand verse 10 as it is written now he starts to quote the old testament says there is no one righteous not even one And he's talking about those of us in sin, like, man, do you, do, you, do you hear this? And I don't know about you. I'm tempted on occasion to think about God as like this Zeus character on a far distant mountain, long beard, jacked with like a toga on. Why is God Roman? I don't know. And then there's like thunderbolts where he's like, he's, it's nothing but wrath that you would somehow have the audacity to oppose him. It's very Greek and Roman. That's, that's my picture sometimes. And honestly, it's the voice of my own conscience sometimes. Some of us have an internal voice that's very like, no, Jacob, you're awesome. Some of us have a slave driver of a conscience. I'm like, I don't need a slave driver. I got one in my head. Thank you very much. And so if we're not careful, we can, we can have what, what C.S. Lewis calls as a great cataract of nonsense that you begin to see the scriptures with your skewed color of lenses and everything you want to see is, boom, that's what's popping out. And all you want is condemnation, baby, you will find it in the scriptures. And if all you want is grace and hugs and no, con- no accountability, you can find that too. But you've got to strain out a lot of the scripture to find just what you want. And again, neither one of those are seeing it the way God sees it. But as I, lo- I read this, we're not reading the words. I mean, this is Paul quoting God in the Old Testament. In fact, even one. I mean, it says right here. It says in verse twelve, "All have turned away; they have together become worthless." In fact, what he's quoting there in the Book of Psalm, it's uh, goodness that Psalm 50, 51, 53. and he's quoting. And in fact, actually, it's a Psalm of David where it says, "God says." dot, 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 is what actually Paul, you know, like David saying, this is what God says. And Paul's quoting God. (laughs) But here's the thing. This isn't a harsh headmaster that's saying these words. It's a loving father talking to his kids. I mean, you can imagine that conversation as a parent or as a friend looking at mom and dad or looking at your aunt, uncle, or best friend, and going, "You've, you've become worthless. Like, what you're doing has changed the value of what and who you've been made to be. This is a part of sin we don't like talking about in our culture. We have all but condemned any form of shame or shaming or anything that would evoke that because, oh, your your worth is intact in God. No, that's not true if you have not been converted and back into Him. Right. Because if you live in sin, if you want that lifestyle, and you live in that, and you have not had that debt paid off and been brought home, because there is no other place we get worth but Him. Right. That's right. We don't understand what our sin will do to us. We just don't get it. And I just can't help but to think about a father, not a, condemning, not a condemning boss, not a dictator, but a father going, kids, you've all turned away. You've become worthless. And I go, I, 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 don't, know, I don't know how my kids would ever get to a place where in complete honesty and love, I would look them in the eyes and go, guys, do you understand what your choices are doing to you? That's a wild reality to wrestle with. Mm -hmm. And that's what our sin does to us. And by the way, friends, he's talking to a church. Mm -hmm. This isn't just for the non-believer. That's why in Galatians 5, almost every time we read about sin, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul in Galatians 5 says, I warn you as I did before. Mm -hmm. This this warning remains true. Mm -hmm. And so I think sometimes what can happen is we, maybe we had a tough experience at church where the intensity of an individual with us, like personally, makes us not want to engage with the intensity of God's truth at all. Does that make sense? And I would urge you, don't do that. Maybe it's been a while since you've looked in and gone, hold on, how am I doing? Because in verse 3, again, another fact we see about sin is it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, I want to be really clear about this, and there's a lot of passages about this, is that when we talk about this, are we talking about children? Because there's a wrestling match on our kids. Are we all born under sin, as he's talking about? Now, there's a couple of things. One, you cannot find a Jew that believes in original sin. They don't exist. And it's funny because we've kind of imported in the last several hundred years to a very popular effect this idea of original sin. And so, it's especially true. And Calvinists believe it a different way, and you've got Catholics that inserted this. So it makes sense to me when you're talking about converting and baptizing children if they are born into this world somehow guilty, and if they, if you have your six months unbaptized six month old, and they die, they're dead. They they go to hell. That's what it means if you are. If the interpretation is you're born into sin, but that that's not what's being said here at all. Right. Why? One, you have together become worthless. That's not how you start. Right. Right. Yeah. you you so that. Why does Jesus on multiple occasions go? You've got to be like this child. That's how you have to be to enter the kingdom of God. Kids are not saved. Kids are safe. We're talking about adults making the decision to sin. Does that make sense, friends? And we'll get back to this in a moment. But when we're talking about the adults in our world, as we wrestle with sin and the consequences, we often want to deny the truth because of the consequence of that truth. We're studying, you know, in... I might be talking with Lewis, and I'm like, Lewis, man, what are you, what are you telling me here? I'm like, but don't you know my grandmother? She was awesome. Are you trying to say my grandma is? And then we start having these. What about that? What about that village, in in Brazil that you talked about, Jeff? That hasn't been preached to yet. Isn't it unfair if they don't get a chance to go to heaven? And what we do is we start to try to find logical ways out. And actually, what you you misunderstood because when you turn over to Romans chapter six. We've got to understand, again, the nature of what sin has done. And in verse 23 of Romans chapter 6, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so what you say is going, man, I don't know about you. Man, we're in tax season. Sometimes we're like, man, you took too many of my wages. Where's my money, baby? Where is it? and we get frustrated if the government is just a few days late and giving our money back. Or maybe you've had a boss in the past. Could you imagine? And you're working, and you're like, you know, you know I mean, Blue Bell would never do this, because it's ice cream. Come on, they're just good people. But if they're like, Chris, we know that you worked You worked a full work week, but you don't mind if we pay you for like 80% of that, do you? We're, we're a little short. We didn't sell as many pralines and pecan this week. You cool with that? And he's like, no, actually, I'm not cool with that. No. In fact, I worked for the wage we agreed on. Where's my money? And it's not. No one would go. Well, aren't you a little greedy, Chris? No, we'd go. No, it's actually wrong. It's unfair if they don't pay the man. Like, come on. We see this all over the scriptures. Man, a, work, a worker's worth his wages. Pay him. But sometimes what we do as we think about sin is that we come before God and going. It, wouldn't it be unfair? I mean, I mean, Kirsten's amazing. You heard her sing. She's great. I mean, doesn't Kirsten, certainly, if there's a woman in here that has earned the right to just walk in, isn't it Kirsten? Yeah. I mean, it's great. And what can happen is what we begin to try to do is think about sin and the consequences from a very emotionally driven, human-centered perspective. And we go, oh, this, this truth, can't it can't be like that because that would be unfair to my grandma or that tribe. And, and you have to understand, we say that and going, if they don't get a chance and going, no, no, you don't understand. We've all already been given a chance. We send it away. Like the, the consequence, the misery and the ruin that have marked my way wasn't because God cursed me. It's because of what I chose. Does that make sense? And I think what sometimes we do is we, we try to rationalize this can't be that hard. And I go, no, no, no. This is what we've earned, family, and we stand before God. What isn't fair is that if anyone other than Jesus ever makes it into heaven, that's unfair. And God is not in the business of being fair. He is just and holy and loving. He's tilted the playing field. He even goes to Satan going, I'm not going to tempt you beyond anything that you can bear. God is not in the business of fairness. He's in the business of justice. And I look at this in our sin and going in your life, maybe as a Christian, maybe not, how do you how do you minimize and spend sin away? How's that conversation go in your head? We gotta to fight to see it God's way. And when we see this, what happens is it moves. It changes the conversations we have at Dylan's when we're standing behind someone we don't know. It changes the way the conversations we have in our in, in our marriages or with our kids or with our neighbors or with our friends. It changes the way we interact with our colleagues because we know, man, we we, I am not the cure for sin, but I found him. And so it creates it. An inten- it, it creates an intentionality. It creates a conviction and a compassion, but it moves us to love. Like Luke seven. Does that make sense? Yeah. Turn with me over to Mark chapter seven. Okay. We talked a little bit about the nature of it, but let's get specific. Jeff is, I mean, really come on, Jeff, is there anywhere where the Bible even tells you even what sin is? The answer is, uh, yeah. Uh, They're all over the place. You go, but Jesus, certainly he doesn't talk about it, does he? Well, that's a great question. Mark chapter seven. Right after the conversation that we actually talked about a few weeks ago about the word of God, about traditions and not washing your hands and how it defiles them, the stuff that they're eating, the Pharisees confront Jesus. But after that talk about traditions and, you know, kind of setting aside the word of God, he pivots and goes, no, but let's talk about the real stuff that defiles you. In Mark chapter 7, in verse 21, he says, For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils, come from inside and make a man unclean. And I think, again, as we learn about this, I don't know about you, I remember the first time when we were looking at sin. I mean, I, I went to like 20, 20 Three, 24 different places, churches, monks. I talked to all sorts of people. Not one time had someone actually sit down and study the Bible with me. No one certainly ever go, hey, you ever read Mark chapter seven? Oh yes, yeah, our Phoenician woman dealing, yeah, deaf. Yeah, awesome. No, 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 about the sin part. You're like, skirt, what? <laughs> like, I read the book of Mark and read right past this. Anybody do that? And you went, I read the book of Mark. I didn't find that. And you're like, wow, right? Smack dab in the middle. There it is. And I look at this and I go. Friends, your sin isn't because of what someone did to you or around you. Your sin, while certainly influenced and maybe even trained and taught, is not firmly laid in the, at the feet of your parents, of our culture, or of our past. He says, out of one man's heart comes this evil. It's out of you, your sin. It comes out of you. James would talk about how a sinful desire takes root, and then when it's fully formed, boom, it gives birth to death, right? This, but it's out of our own hearts that temptation isn't, and be very, very clear about this, temptation isn't sin. Saying yes to temptation is. Why? Jesus was tempted in every way and never sinned. Could you imagine? I imagine it's a little bit like sitting at a negotiating table with Satan. And he's making offers like he did in the beginning of Matthew. Jesus, and he takes him up there and he goes, okay, all these kingdoms, all the power, I can give it to you. Just bow down here one time. No one's got to know. No cross in Satan's way. No torture, no pain, no slaughter, no humiliation. Just take a knee right here in the middle of nowhere. No one's got to see this. I'll give it all to you. Could you imagine Jesus knowing what was to come? Wouldn't that be an unbelievably tempting offer? The spiritual trauma, the weight of it all. I, I would be tempted to go, can we talk fine print? You know what I mean? I mean, I would be like, can we, can we talk about that? That's tempting to me. And at some level, it was to Jesus. He's on the cross. If it really is you, the Son of God, come down from there. Show us all, then we'll worship you. Wouldn't that have been a tempting offer? Coming out of the mouths of the Pharisees? You're in front of your mom. Your mom's being humiliated and pain, in pain. You're like, it's my kids, certainly, man. Can I? I would do anything for my mom. You can imagine how tempting that would be, right? I know it would be for me. Yeah. But it's out of our own hearts. Who's responsible for your sin, friend? Mm-hmm. You. And I think for some of us, some some. We, Sometimes we can be busy observing, but sometimes we can get really busy blaming. I'm angry because you did this to me. Really? They crucified Jesus and he didn't get angry. Really? Like anger is it's someone else's thing. Like you're out of control. You've given up the control. That man, the the pornography. You're like you don't understand my upbringing. I go, well, I, I I think I probably do it. But no one can take responsibility for your secrets and your personal life than you. It's you. Right. Now, that's an unbelievably encouraging point because that means Satan is in control of your walk with God. You can say yes to Jesus and walk with him. Amen. No one can handcuff you unless you, you let them. Amen. No one can drag you to sin. No one can drag you to bitterness, to malice. Mm-hmm. That anger, that frustration, the I'm kind of wanting something bad to happen to you. You know what that guy did to me? You know what that minister said to me? Ever felt like that? The you owe me? The folly? He says that evil comes out of a heart? You know how many many foolish decisions I've made because I was so arrogant I wouldn't just walk up to someone and go, hey, you're spiritual. What do you think about this? Is this dumb? And I often wouldn't put fault. that. That's a surprising scripture to me in the list of evil from the Lord. I go, hold on, I'm being silly. You're 16, making dumb decisions. It's just about being a teen or being a 40-year-old, right? Whatever. We blow it off and I go, Jesus goes, no, I, that evil comes out of the heart of a man. I go, I got to think about that. Does that make sense? Yeah. Sexual immorality. It's an unbelievably unpopular topic this day. Jesus is very clear in the conversation just a couple of chapters later when he's asked about divorce. Is it cool, like, like Moses said, to you know just give some woman a divorce for any, any reason I want? And he, he doesn't just answer the question about divorce. He defines exactly what marriage is and why divorce is catastrophically bad and why God hates it. Why? Because God created man and woman. They will leave their families. They will become one flesh. This is the way. And that statement alone is, is tantamount to hate speech for some. And I don't get to define the rules just like the way I don't get to define if it's popular in the culture. But friends, God goes sexual immorality, pornea, is anything outside that. Heterosexual, homosexual, mixed, animals, porn online, digital, kids, everything, everything. He goes, why? Because Sex is so unbelievably powerful. You're not bonding just your body, but your soul. It creates damage. And then not to mention the children. I mean, we can measure the body count of sexual immorality in of our country into the millions because of the abortions. And this isn't meant to be a political message, friends. It's meant to be, I'm talking about the sin that kills us as humans. Do I shake my fist and get in front of the Planned Parenthood, you know, kind of, I can't believe what you're doing. Look, I got plenty more people to study the Bible with. Individuals that I need to love and individuals I need to help. not standing in condemnation of the world, but I'm not going to stand in approving it either. If I'm a doctor, I'm I'm a combat medic, I'm getting on the battlefield and I want to save lives. That offends some, I get it. That might offend you this morning. And I want to appeal to you. Friends, we've got to see this God's way. Right. Full of love and mercy and grace and full wide-eyed facing the full truth of it. Yeah, absolutely. Because if it isn't this serious, why did Jesus come in the first place? If it wasn't this important of a message, why would Jesus put the spirit of the counselor, the the same power that rose him from the grave, why would he put this in you and me if there wasn't a battle and wasn't a message to be proclaimed and an enemy that is not interested in its spreading? But it gets deeper. Talks about things like, I think lewdness is how it is. Lewdness is how it, I think translate in the NIV. It's it, different ways in several other translations. This is an interesting thing because he starts to get into our character a bit. And the word is, we kind of translate it as like a self-abandonment. It's a lack of self-control is what it is. And it has to do with how we can react to sex, a lack of control with money, lavish living, think prodigal son, that word prodigal. Also can deal with how we deal with food. This is not a topic we like to talk about in the United States, especially in the Midwest. Can we all have this conversation honestly? Some sin comes behind us. Some sin goes before us. Sometimes you can see our sin on our body. And I don't say this in condemnation, friends. I say this as someone who's repenting as well. But doggone it, can we have the talks and not avoid them because we're sensitive? We've got to talk. We've got to be honest. This stuff can can strangle our soul and strangle our impact greed it's just the desire for more that's how that translates It's, it's just wanting more you don't have to have a lot to have greed in your heart and you can be generous as someone rich and be incredibly greedy because sometimes what we think is it's about comparing what do other people think of me and again we've got to fight humbly to see it the way god sees it does that make sense friends? And we're just scratching the surface. And for, you, for some of us, this is a reminder. And we go, Jeff, I haven't, thought, I haven't looked at these passages in Galatians 5 or Ephesians 5. Or for some of us that are more religious, maybe Second Timothy 3 and our lack of love and our, our godliness, having a form of godliness without power. Or 1 Corinthians 6 when it talks about our sexuality and our convictions. or Maybe Romans 1 and how we see it actually all starts with not, there's no gratitude and no glory for God is where it says it all starts. And it ends in murder and, and porn I mean, it's just a, it's just a mess the landslide of sin. maybe for some of us in here today we're going Jeff I, I honestly have avoided looking in this mirror for a long time I don't know if i'm going to be able to stand what I see and I want to encourage you whether it's your first time or you've never done it I want to one give you an unbelie- an overwhelming promise Jesus has already seen it right. and he's already died for you. Right. He's going, no, come on, come out of the grave. I've got you. I've faced this. I'm victorious. I've overcome the world. Come with me. That's why he doesn't say, just do what I do. He goes, no, no, no. follow me. We're going together out of this pit. We're going together. Right. And even if I'm not physically among you, I'm going to put my spirit in you. You can overcome. Yeah. Come on, and don't believe the lie of I can't repent and I can't deal with that truth. That's a lie. Don't you dare believe that, and don't you dare believe that you gotta quit or leave, because you're like Jeff. I'm in the middle of this. I repent. It's like it's like you know when you start getting sober and you deal with drugs or alcoholism. Man, the first time everyone cheers for you when you come out of rehab, but not after you relapse. It's different when you come out. And we can feel that way in the church. And I want to encourage you. No, that's Satan in your ear. As a church, we go whether you, you're coming out, you've relapsed, you're going. I need help again. Good, coming in. We've got jackets. We're all in. Re- we're all in recovery, baby. We're all here together, right. Right. and we respect the one that's honest, not the one that's got it all together. Yeah. Let's finish this back in, in Luke chapter seven. And if and if you're visiting with us, or maybe you're, look, you're 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 watching online. There's no way in one sermon we're getting to the bottom of sin in all of the scriptures that we're possibly going to read. There's just too many of them. But I think let's remember, let's back to the sinful woman and imagine. I mean, think about this. Her life, her life was known not just like in like dark circles and at certain pubs and on certain streets. Like the church leader knew what kind of woman this was, which made me wonder, bro, how do you know so intimately her lifestyle? Hmm, right? I got questions. Just saying. As I read the scriptures, I'm like, mm, that's an interesting dark corner I gotta have to think about." And this guy's condemning her. In fact, he's—you can almost hear the condemnation of Jesus in his own heart. If you, if you were, if you were a prophet, you know this kind. What kind of this? You know what kind of woman this that she is. And I think Jesus would look at him and go, "I know exactly what kind of woman she is." Do you see this woman? And maybe the bigger question today is, do you see? you because that's where it starts and look at this with me friends in verse 42 again neither of them had the money to pay him back so he canceled the debts of them both now which of them will love him more simon replied i suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled you've judged correctly then he turned toward this woman and said do you see this woman and then in verse 47, we see it kind, of, kind of come to, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven for she loved much, but he who has been forgiven little loves little. My friends, is that it's not a matter of how much forgiveness you need. It's how much you think you need. But if you go before God and you go, yeah, I, I owe God 50 bucks and he forgave it. And you go, thanks. I could have paid you back, but wow, that was really nice. I get to go out to dinner with my friends. But if you've got a fifty, dollars a $500,000 debt, a $5,000,000 debt, and you look at it and you go, there's no amount of money. I, I can't ever pay this back. Then when somebody else comes and has their $5,000 sin, you're like, are you kidding me? Forgiveness. Are you? Pff, forget that. Not only are you forgiving, all by lunch. Do you know how much God has forgiven me? Coming to church, this isn't... Sacrifice of discipleship. This is a part of the celebration. This is where I come to recharge. This isn't a cross to bear. This is the oasis in the desert. Sharing my faith. Loving God. Spending time with Jesus. Repenting of my sin. That isn't... A, I mean, yeah, there's some, there's some challenge. But man, this is... I, I love much because do you know what God's done for me? And friend, do you know what He's done for you? Do you see... How when we see ourselves accurately and we see Jesus' forgiveness and grace, we love much. We transform much. Friends, today is not a message of condemnation unless you refuse to come to Jesus. I did you the greatest service or the greatest disservice today because there's at least no one watching today will stand in front of God on judgment day and go, I didn't know. You know so sorry, but not sorry. But my encouragement is whether you're a member and have been a member for decades or whether you're just, a, you're visiting for the first time, come, come see this Jesus. Come see this salvation. Come see this forgiveness. And he's already seen you and he's offering it still. Let's be like this sinful woman, but see our sinful nature, not to continue to live in it, to but be transformed in love. And so at the end of this, I've got good news and I've got bad news. The good news is this is not the end of the Bible studies. There's a whole, there's a whole salvation coming. Now, the, the bad news is you're going to have to wait two weeks to hear about it. Because uh, I am going to St. Louis this coming Sunday to visit with the church there. And we've got a, we've got a preacher that's coming in there. The, Jason's going to be preaching next week. which we're, I'm really. Pre- uh, I've been talking with him. I'm encouraged, actually, on Sunday, what he's going to be talking about but also this coming sunday is the beloved or dreadedly you know it's the it's the it's daylight savings so so everyone goes oh so let let let's 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 encourage one another and we're springing forward which means you you're not you're not losing an hour of sleep no 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 you're getting prepared and going to church even faster and more ready than ever before we're not going to show up late and not set our clocks. No, no, no. No, we're going to listen to the call of our cell phones and go, man, I just want to be there on time in defiance of Satan who would try to keep me down. What do you think about that? Great. We're going to give that a shot. I'm going to ask all of us that are here, if you, that are able, let's stand. We're going to bow our head for a word of prayer. That will dismiss us for a time of fellowship as we think about who we are in God's eyes and this, this amazing salvation he's offered us. Let's bow our heads, friends, as we finish our service. Holy Father, thank you. Thank you that your scriptures really do talk about the parts we don't want to talk about. You say you say the quiet parts out loud. And you want us to do it with each other. Not because it's about humiliating one another, Father, but it's actually about getting our it's, it's actually about getting our glory and honor and our salvation and our freedom back in you. Father, and I pray that if any of us in here are t- thinking about the secrets that are in our life or things that we haven't said, or these parts that oh, I don't want to talk about. Or man man, what if I say this that oh man the lightning's gonna strike or fire will fall down on the church building Or that no one's gonna be my friend that I just pray that we just block that out and that That's satan that that's not true that we are a group that we love you and love one another and we celebrate every sinner Every sinner that turns back to you Even if that sinner is the one in the mirror God, I pray that we can help one another, that we rejoice in you and that freedom that you offer us becomes not just a great idea, but it becomes true. It's true in our marriages. It's true in our life. As singles, it's true in our purity and it's true in our, in, in when we're alone or when we're true with our friends or with our kids, if we're parents or with, or as we, as we love and connect with our own parents or it's with our neighbors or the strangers, Father, that that freedom and that joy, that love like the sinful woman had, it will it will transform us and come out of us and be evident to those around us. We love you. So grateful to know you and to know your truth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Friends, we are dismissed.